The message you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Um, so my name is Emma Button, and I am from Minneapolis. Um, I went to the University of St. Thomas, where I studied biology. And as you can see, I put it to really good use by coming on staff. <laughs> um, I was going to go to med school and then decided I didn't want to do that. And now I'm on staff at the University of Minnesota, where I've been on staff for a year and a half. Uh, yeah, so that is a little bit about me. I am 24 years old, and I am single. So that is why I'm giving this talk. Um, so um, when I first started dating uh, a couple years ago, a lot of people said to me once I started dating something along the lines of, Emma, I'm so glad you're dating. You're so great, and it's, it's just about time that you started dating someone. And... They meant well, and I know what they're trying to say, but that comment kind of communicates a sense that I think every single person feels, and that's the sense that when you find someone who is romantically interested in you, it's like the stamp of approval on who you are and what you're like. And so when, when you start dating someone, it feels like for the first time you're like, Yes, now I know. Now I know that I'm funny enough. Now I know that I'm attractive enough. Now I know that I'm athletic enough. Now I know that I'm godly enough. And that, in some ways, I think is the narrative of every romantic comedy movie ever. Uh, the Kind of the, the arc of the main character, who's usually a woman, is that her life is lacking something and then she meets a guy and her life, kind of her whole story, kind of comes to this climax when their relationship succeeds. And a lot of rom-coms end with these two people kind of surmounting all of these odds to finally find each other. And so what it can feel like when, when you're single is you feel like everyone around me is finding their person and I'm not finding mine. So that's kind of where I want to start off this talk is by just acknowledging that there is a very real pain to being single. And a lot of the times when I've heard talks on singleness, what has kind of been communicated to me has been, hey, if singleness is hard, it's because you don't love Jesus enough. And so you need to become content, and then singleness will become easy, and you'll love it. And that's just been really confusing, because I think that there really is an objective sense in which singleness is really, really painful. And I said this in my introduction, but it almost feels like a relationship is like a reward from the universe, from God, from fate, whatever you want to call it. We all kind of have this sense that when I finally find someone who is interested in me romantically and I'm interested in them, it's, it's like a reward. It shows that I, I've finally done enough. And so when you're single, it feels like, am I single because I'm not enough? And it's hard because you're watching all of your friends find someone. Um, it's hard because you're waiting and waiting for someone to come and be interested in you and no one's coming. And it just, it leaves you wondering, am I pretty? Am I funny? Am I godly? Am I enough? Is it my personality? What is wrong with me? And I think that at the root of singleness is a sense that you're being rejected. 
And that could be in the form of explicit rejection, where you have communicated to someone, hey, I have feelings for you, and, and they don't return those feelings. So it, it could be that you're single because of an explicit rejection. But for a lot of us, I think what's more common is that you're single because of an implicit rejection. And so it's not that you've communicated your feelings to someone and they're actively saying, no, I'm not interested. But there's just no one. <laughs> no one is, is showing up. And so it's weird because it's not like you're explicitly being rejected, but there's a sense in which you actually are kind of being rejected. And I think that that can kind of get at the root of why singleness can be really painful. And our culture, uh, I think there's, there's ways that our secular culture tries to help us with the pain, and then there's ways that the Christian culture tries to help us with the pain. So the secular culture tries to help us with the pain by basically invalidating it and saying, hey, you are enough. You don't need someone else. You, on your own, you're enough. And if you can just figure out who you are, you'll be okay. And um, there's movies like Frozen and Moana that really focus on the character development of the protagonist woman that's a, kind of separate from any sort of romantic relationship. And um, although I think that's really good and I'm, I'm happy that there are more narratives like that, I think ultimately it feels kind of empty to be told like, hey, you're good enough on your own because yeah, there are times that singleness does feel really empowering. And there are times that you do something and it's like, that was awesome, I'm great. <laughs> but a lot of the times, singleness can just feel really lonely. And a lot of the times, singleness just feels kind of icky. And at, the, at its worst point, singleness can even feel shameful. And I actually experienced this even with giving this talk. So I, and I got to choose kind of my topic, um, but I was the only single woman who wanted to give a talk, and so I felt like I needed to be the one to give the singleness talk. And when people asked me what talk I was giving, I said singleness, and everything in me felt like I had to clarify, hey, I didn't choose this, like I did not want to give the singleness talk, I was assigned to it. And um, actually, even as I've been here, um, in the like day that we've been here, I've actually like overheard people joking about the singleness talk. And it's kind of a sense of like, <laughs> like no one wants to like really strongly identify with being single. And I think, and I think that there's a reason why we feel that way. I think that we do have this sense that I'm, I think I might be single because I think there, there might be something wrong with me. And I don't really want to like associate that with myself too strongly. So Christian culture, I think also tries to give an answer to the pain of singleness and it actually, it's funny, it actually gives us a really similar message to what secular culture says. Christian culture says, you don't need a relationship to make you happy, Jesus is enough. And so secular culture tries to invalidate your pain by saying, hey, you're enough. And Christian culture, I think, can validate your pain by saying, Jesus is enough. And we start to get the sense that our longing to be married, our desire to be married, is because we don't love Jesus enough. And then we think that the solution is that if you just love Jesus more and if you did a better job of using all of your free time to help married people whose need for a babysitter is the reason why you're still single, then it wouldn't be as hard. Like, we, it can really feel like that. And people try to tell you, like, you have so much free time and, like, think of all of the amazing things you can do with your time. And if you just did those things and if you just love Jesus, then you would be happy. And I think both the secular culture and the Christian culture leave us feeling guilty for our desire for a relationship, but then it also leaves us ashamed for feeling single. So what does the Bible say? And also, sorry, I meant to say this at the beginning of my talk, but 
I can email you like my slides, my notes at the end of the talk if you're interested. So don't feel like you have to copy down everything that's on my slides because some of them will be more text heavy. So do whatever you need to do so that you're able to engage and listen. And then if you want my notes, I can send them to you. Okay, so what does the Bible say? Because I think that that is what we really want to know. So the language of singleness being a gift has been taken from 1 Corinthians 7.7, where Paul is writing and he says, he's just been talking about basically being celibate. And he says, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so some people have interpreted that to mean he's talking about singleness. So he's talking about some people have the gift that when you're single, um, it's, it's a gift from God. There's some debate over whether he's referring to the gift of celibacy or the gift of singleness. But for, for our sake, um, mainly because I just want to do a play on the cliche that singleness is a gift, um, that's how we're talking about it. But I want to talk about this verse. So this, um, this verse is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And it says, It is not good for a man to be alone. And that is actually God saying that in the story of creation. And the crazy thing is that he says this when, um, before, before the fall. So he says this when the world is still perfect, when the world still has not been cursed. And what has been happening is there's been this pattern where God creates something and he sees it and then he calls it good. But he breaks this pattern because he creates Adam and then he looks at him and it, the Bible says it sees that he's alone and then he says, it's not good. And, and just think about that for a second. Adam was perfect. He's in the Garden of Eden with God. And so Christian culture would say, that's great. Like, you have Jesus. You're enough. And even secular culture would say, like, Adam's perfect. He had perfect self-awareness, super empowered. That should be enough. And God looks at that situation and says, no, that's not good. And I just think that that is really, really important for us to recognize that the Bible um, actually validates the pain of being alone. And I just want to reference something. I think that in my experience in campus outreach, I, I don't know how common this is among the regions, but when I was in school, the guys at my school developed this phrase that they called the BTR lifestyle, and it stood for bachelor till the rapture. And, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and um, I was talking to someone else, and they said that some guys at their school came up with the phrase the 1C7 train, which refers to 1 Corinthians 7. And I think that those are actually not okay. And I think what, what is happening is that that is another way that Christians are responding to the pain and the rejection. And at least in my experience, it was coming out of guys who had asked girls out and been turned down. And then it kind of was like, well, screw you. I'm going to be a bachelor until Jesus comes back. And um, I don't think that's okay. And girls, I think we, we do this too by being like, I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't need any men. And um, and I, I think that there's a sense in which God has designed men and women to work together. And and it's not good for us to be apart from each other. And when you're single, you are you have to sit in the tension of the fact that you don't have a, a partner in life at this point. And so it's not okay for you to be like, well, I'm fine with that because God wasn't okay with that. God wasn't okay with leaving Adam alone. Um, he, he gave Adam Eve. That was like the best gift that God gave Adam. Adam breaks out into song when God gives him Eve. And so that's more of a tangent. But I just want to say, I, I think that... Um, 
why it's so important that we recognize the pain is because I think there's a lot of ways that we can deal with it that are actually really unhealthy and that kind of shame the fact that men and women are designed to work together. Because when, when the guys at my school said, like, we're living the BTR lifestyle, that made all of us girls feel kind of crappy because it was like, oh, cool, so now, like, you just don't need us? Like, we have no value to you anymore? And um, so I, I think that we really do have to kind of wrestle with the fact that that God has said it is not good for a man to be alone. But for this time, we are single. And so there's this tension because it's good for us to be with someone. It's good for men and women to be together. But for right now, we're not. So that is a tangent. So anyway, God says it's not good. So what does he do? He says, I will make a helper fit for him. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So the solution to Adam's aloneness is that God creates Eve. So there's an objective sense in which each of us were made to be in a relationship, which can then be kind of tricky for those of us who are single. Oh, yeah, so God looks at our aloneness and says not good. And he is, he is the creator of love, intimacy, sex, marriage, and relationships. So your desire for those things is really not contrary at all to God's will for you. In fact, your desires for those things are actually very much in line with the way that God's made you. But yeah, that leaves us in kind of a weird place because it kind of feels like, wait, 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 wait. Did God play a trick on us? Like, does God hate every person in this room then? If we're all single, what's, what's going on? If God made us for a relationship and gave us marriage, how can singleness be good? So this is my first main point. I think that singleness is good because it exposes our need to be loved. And this might sound kind of weird, but singleness is supposed to feel painful. Because each of us were made to be in a relationship, each of us has a deep need to be known and loved. And in some ways, I don't think you would know how deep that need really is until you're single. Because when you're single, that's when you have to really face, I think, maybe our biggest fear, which is, am I lovable? Because when you're dating someone, every time that question comes up, every time you start to feel like, ugh, I, I'm kind of, I don't really like myself. Am I lovable? You have someone right there who, who can affirm you. But when you're single, you that fear rises up, that insecurity rises up, and it can feel like when you start asking the question, am I enough, it seems like the answer might be no. And um, there's a quote that someone gave at a talk a couple years ago where he said, everyone is born into this world looking for someone, looking for them. And I think that unending question of singleness it can feel like is, so who's looking for me? And um, this next quote comes from an article that is probably one of my favorite resources on singleness. And I'll have a link to it later, but it's called Redeem the Rejection of Singleness. And what she says is, I think the, the cry of singleness is, Am I alone because I'm not wanted, not chosen, and no one's favorite? So I think the really painful thing is that singleness seems to prove that we're unlovable, and, and no one is showing up to prove it otherwise. And so it really does expose the fact that each one of us has a deep, deep, deep need and longing to be known and to be loved. So... Um, I think everyone has these desires and fears. These aren't unique to single people. People who are married have the same desires to be known and loved. But I think that when you're single, um, the desire is exposed more than it would be if you're in a relationship. And it's seemingly an unmet desire. Or is it? 
So this is another quote from the article called Redeem the Rejection of Singleness. And this is what she said. God has designed this beautiful gift of singleness to highlight your need to be chosen and to underline the inadequacy of people to fill that need. Don't be ashamed by your hunger to be wanted and chosen. Don't try to cover or conceal or fill it with positive thinking or encouragement from mortal men. Let it drive you to cling to the God who has chosen you at great cost. So this is my second point, that singleness reveals Christ's sufficiency. So we're supposed to feel the sting of rejection and the pain of singleness because it draws us into our Savior. And this is a quote from a sermon that I heard on singleness. And this is what he said, marriage shows the shape of the gospel and singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel. And so you hear a lot that um, a marriage kind of is a picture of how Christ loves the church. But what singleness shows is that Christ, if he's all you have, is enough for you. And um, as I was working on this talk, I was thinking more and more about what it means that the gospel shows the sufficiency of Christ. And I was, I was just trying to think more and more, what does this mean? And I noticed something that I'd never seen before. So in the garden, the Bible in Genesis, it describes Eve as Adam's helper. And that word helper is actually used again in the New Testament, but in a much different context. And when I made that connection, I realized Eve was never intended to be the ultimate answer to Adam's aloneness. God had always intended to answer man's problem of aloneness a different way, which is through sending his son in the likeness of human flesh. This is a verse from John which says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And um, let me go to the verse that talks about this. So the second place that the word helper shows up is in John 14, 16. And this is right before Jesus is heading to the cross to be crucified. And he's kind of, he's sharing with his disciples kind of these last parting words before he leaves. And he tells them, I'm going to leave. But then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And, and I have not confirmed this, but what I wonder is if when Jesus says another helper, what he was referring to is Eve was the solution to Adam's aloneness in the garden, but that was never the ultimate solution. Jesus has come to be the ultimate solution to our loneliness. And even though he's not with us physically now, he is still in us because he's given us his Holy Spirit. And so if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in him, his spirit now lives in you and bears witness to who Christ is. And in that sense, God has answered your problem of being alone for the rest of your life, which it's kind of crazy. God himself came into our world. God took on human flesh so that he could be with you. If you are in Christ, that means that God stepped down out of heaven and took on human flesh, bore our grief, bore our sorrow, went to the cross, suffered a brutal crucifixion, was forsaken by God, and rose from the dead so that you would never be forsaken, so that you would never be rejected. It, in Isaiah, it says he was despised and rejected by men. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he faced our biggest fear. Our deepest fear is that we would be despised and rejected. And Jesus stepped into that so that you would never be despised and rejected by God. He came to do what Adam and Eve could never do for each other, which was bring us into a relationship with God that will never end. 
So the spirit of Christ in us is the true helper fit for us. And, and this is huge. What this means is that in singleness, God is not withholding something good from you, which I think is what it can feel sometimes. But in singleness, God is actively offering you the very best thing in the world, which is more and more of himself. And he intends to use this time of your singleness to prove to you that he is enough. And so if you're sitting in this room right now and you're single, it's not because you're not doing something good enough. It's not because you're not pretty enough. It's not because you're not funny. It's not because you're not athletic. It's not because you're not godly. If you're in this room and you're single, it's because God wants to prove to you that he is enough to meet you in your deepest needs, in your deepest loneliness, in your deepest brokenness, in your deepest insecurities. He wants to meet you there, and he wants to be enough for you. Whew. Yeah. another quote from that article. I was really tempting just to read that whole article and walk away because it's so good. But this is what she says. As you find yourself secure in Christ, you will stand more fully on the great promise that you will never be forsaken, never be rejected by God. Every hour of every day, for all eternity, you are wanted, chosen, picked. And you know why? Because Jesus was willing to face rejection so that you could be secure. He faced our nightmare so that we could live in the dream, unconditional love from our sufficient Savior. And, and in singleness, that is what you get, unconditional love from our sufficient Savior. And you don't have to do anything. That is yours in Christ. So what this doesn't mean is this doesn't mean that the pain and longings of singleness go away. Those are going to be there. And, and that's why I started there. I started with the fact that singleness is painful. And you could be, like, just totally doing well in your walk with the Lord. And singleness could still be really, really hard. So it doesn't mean that the pain and longingness of singleness goes away. But what I think this does mean is that Christ will meet you in the pain and in the longing of singleness with a peace and a love that match your pain. They don't make it go away, but they match it. And I think this is kind of the point of my talk. You are not single because you are rejected. You're single because God has chosen you. And he wants to reveal himself to you in ways that you would not have seen were you dating someone right now. And this is, I think, my last quote from this article, although no promises. But this is what she says. Settle it in your mind. You are not alone because you are unwanted, unloved, or rejected. Your life is being written with kind and perfect intentions by a sovereign and loving God who is stewarding all things to give you the greatest possible good, himself. Okay, so what does it look like to respond? If, if God is the one who created relationships, created marriage, if singleness, if there is an objective sense in which singleness is painful, but if in singleness God is going to give us more of himself, how do we respond? So if you've ever been to a talk I've given, I think I quote this verse probably every talk. It's Psalm 62, verse 8, and it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Our God is a refuge for us. And I love this verse because I used to think that what it meant to trust God was that I did, things weren't hard. I, I, I thought that if I trusted God, I wouldn't be sad about things. Things wouldn't be difficult for me. Things wouldn't be painful. But what this verse is saying is that what it means to trust God is that you pour out your heart to him. 
And the, the Hebrew word for pour is the same word that they would use to describe what would happen if you cut open an animal and the blood came out. And a more literal word would be like, gush. So what this verse is saying is what it means to trust God is that you basically open up your heart to him and let whatever is going on in there gush out. And I think that especially as Christians, that feels really uncomfortable, and I think we need to do a better job of it. And so the first thing I think we need to do when it comes to responding is you need to be honest with God about the unique pain of singleness. And each one of you has a different story, and each one of you has has something that's really hard. So maybe you've never been asked out, and, and that feels so painful because you've had friends who have been asked out, like, 20 times, and you haven't been asked out once. And that can feel so, so, so hard. Um, or maybe maybe you've asked out people over and over and over again, and you get rejected over and over and over again. Or maybe you've come out of a really, really broken relationship where you were manipulated and abused. What, whatever has brought you to where you are now, I think you need to get with God and lament. Be honest with him about the unique pain of singleness. And I, I love the word lament, and I found a definition for it that says it's the honest vocalization of your grief to God. And so be honest with him. Weep before him. Journal through. Like, there are things that are really, really, really hard about being single. And, and God, God invites you to pour that out before him. This is a quote from John Piper, and this is what he said. This is on grief. Occasionally, weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, feel the pain, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. And that's the tension that I think we're called to walk as single people, is can you, can you do that? Can you, can you be sad? Can you lament? Can you feel the pain? But then can you wash your face and trust God, and step out of your front door and embrace the life he's given you, even if it's not really the life that you would have chosen. I think God is asking each one of us to fight, to believe. He's not withholding good from you. In, in your singleness, God isn't holding back this perfect spouse. What he's doing is he's, he's offering you the very best thing, which is himself. And I want to end with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot, and then I have a ton of practicals. So if you don't know the story of Elizabeth Elliot, she was married for a really short amount of time, and her husband was actually martyred. Um, he went to share the gospel and was, was murdered. And, um, and so she, was, she spent most of her life single. And this is what she said as she reflected back on her time. She said, having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift, not one I would choose, not one that many women would choose, or men. But we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a, a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. It is within the sphere of circumstances he chooses for us, single, married, and widowed, that we receive him. It is there and nowhere else that he makes himself known to us. It is there that we are allowed to serve him. Okay, so I have some practicals. So the first one actually isn't really that practical, and it's actually super, super vague. Sorry about that. So my first practical is be part of a story that is bigger than yours. And what I mean by that is that there's a sense in which kind of the pain and struggles of your own life 
kind of fade away when you get really caught up in something really exciting. And, and so you've experienced this if you've gone into a movie and it's really epic, it's a great moving story and you leave and you check your watch, it's been like two hours. And for those two hours, you weren't thinking about what was going on in your life, you were so engrossed in the story that this movie was showing that you kind of forgot what was happening in your own life. And I think that, um, I think that that is like a little picture of what it's like for us as Christians. If you think about our lives, we're part of an epic story. God, God came to earth, he came as a man, he died, he was raised, he's now ascended into heaven, and he's put his spirit in each of you and has called you to advance his kingdom. He says that we're lights in the darkness. And so you are part of an epic story that God's writing for the world. And so, so do things that get you out into that. Recognize that you're part of a story that's bigger than you and let your life be caught up in that. Be, be concerned about things that are bigger than you. Um, do things that you couldn't if you were in a relationship. So this past summer, I made a list of kind of all of the things that I feel like make me me, things I love doing, and things I, I really wanted to take advantage of since I'm single. And a big thing was I love traveling. I love exploring, I love going to new places, and I've wanted to go to Europe for a really, really, really long time. And so this summer I was praying about it and I was like, I should just go to Europe. And so I talked to one of my friends and she wanted to go and we booked a trip for the summer. And, and that's not spiritual, <laughs> that's just like a practical life thing. But there are things that you can do as a single person that would be a lot harder to do when you're married. Whenever I try to hang out with married friends, the first thing they say is, let me ask my husband what we're doing that night and then I'll get back to you. And you don't have to do that when you're a single person. It's like you and you alone are calling the shots with God and your community informing you. Um, um, so, but there's, there are a lot of things you can do when you're single, and so take advantage of those. Um, I have married friends who are jealous of the fact that I get to do some of the things that I get to do. So, so take advantage of that. There are some good things about being single. Um, so a third thing is cultivate deep, fun, rich relationships with the opposite sex. So I think if you're a guy, having really good girlfriends, and if you're a girl, having really good guy friends, where there isn't necessarily romantic attraction happening, can be so, so helpful and so fun. So a very practical thing is go to the friendship seminar. It's actually happening during this time today, but they're offering it again whenever the next seminar day is. Monday, yes. Okay, so if you're not doing anything on Monday at 2.30, I will see all of you in the friendship talk. <laughs> um, because I think that that really does help you with singleness, is to feel like you have really, really good friends who are around you and love you and that you have fun with. Um, okay, find stories of single, happy people. Because I think a lot of times we can be told this narrative that the most happy and the most fulfilled people are married people. And that's not necessarily true. So find people of, find stories of people who are single and happy. And um, the first three people that came to mind are Elizabeth Elliot, Lilius Trotter, and Amy Carmichael, but there are lots, lots more. Um, another practical is seek to understand how God has created you as a man or a woman and how you reflect into the world. So another plug, go to the gender talk at 4.30. Um, but for real, go to the gender talk at 4.30. It's so, I've, I've heard it and it's, it will be so, so, so helpful because I think a lot of times in Christian culture, our roles as men and women are defined as they would be in marriage. It's like, oh yeah, men lead and women submit. But then it's really confusing when you're single because that same paradigm doesn't apply if you're not married. So what does it look like to be a woman? Do you submit to every man who walks by? Like, how do you function in the church? What does it look like as a man? And the answer is no, you don't. So just want to get that on the record. Um, 
Yeah, so, so, so seek to understand what does it mean that you're a woman? What does it mean that you're a man? There are unique ways that each of you are telling the world something about God. And it's so empowering to know that and live out of that. So go to the gender talk. Another practical, stop buying into the narrative that your life starts when a relationship does, aka stop watching romantic comedies. I stopped watching them a couple of years ago, and honestly, it has made such a huge difference. Um, I don't think anything good has ever come out of watching them. And kind of the positive side to that is let your view of love be informed by real messy love. So have friends who are married and ask them about it. I have been so thankful for the people in my life who are married and who are honest with me about how their marriage is going. And it's so helpful because movies portray marriage as if it's this like... Um, kind of like separate existence, like all of your struggles and pain go away, but they really don't. In some ways they can even be intensified in marriage. And so it's just really, really helpful to hear from a married person. There are actually some things that are kind of hard about being married and things that, I know this is shocking, but there are things that are actually harder in marriage than in singleness. And it's just, it's really helpful to have a real view of what love is like. Um, okay. Two more practicals. So use your singleness in ways that can bless others and bring you joy. And I feel like a lot of people misuse this. Like, that's kind of the cliche thing I feel like you hear about your singleness. It's like, you have so much free time, so like, go out and use it. And um, I think one thing that I have been learning more and more are, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go and like, um, enslave yourself to being the babysitter for like the next 10 years of your life like that I, I think sometimes you can feel especially as a woman it's like if I'm a single woman I literally have no excuse to not watch your children so I will <laughs> um, so but but find things that you actually love doing and figure out how to bless other people with that so if you love to bake um, Invite people over, invite students on your hall, invite students from your Bible study, invite classmates, have them over and, and bake with them. Find, this was huge for me, I found little kids that I actually really love and I've been babysitting them. And it's so fun and it's so fun for me and it blesses their family. So find things that you really do love doing. Um, there is a staff family on our team back in Minneapolis and the father passed away a couple months ago after a battle with cancer. And he has a son, and a couple guys on our staff team um, have gone out and like played basketball with him. And so, again, it's like, find things that you would be doing already, and then things that you love to do, and, and use those things to help bless other people. And then my last thing is, I have put together a collection of resources. So, the article that I quoted like five billion times, um, a couple podcasts, a couple sermons that have just been so helpful and transformative for me in understanding singleness. So if you're interested in getting those, you can shoot me an email and I'm gonna email that out um, within the next couple of days. And also if you, if you want to get my slides or my notes, you can also send me an email and I can send those to you. So. Um, yeah, that is all that I have. Thank you for listening. I know it's really, really warm in here. Um, so yeah, thanks guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.